I have a number of scriptures today. In fact, there were so many scriptures, I couldn't even put them on the screen. So I've hand, I'm handing them out. Maybe you'll be able to uh, follow with it today. If not, use it for notes at least and go back and read the scriptures later. But if we don't base our, our preaching on the word of God, if we don't base our preaching on the Bible, then what are we, then what are we basing it on? Dan's ideas. And my ideas aren't good enough to base much on. So I want you to know right now that we're basing our Bible teaching on the Bible, on the Word of God. Amen. So today I want to talk about the three musts of faith. The three musts of faith. We're living in a very confusing time in this world. There's no question. We're unprecedented in our lifetimes for sure. But I would imagine in the lifetimes of anyone that's ever lived that we, America, has never been at a crossroads like we're at right now. This is a very important time of living. And so today I want to talk about how our faith must be interacted and engaged in this time of confusion and this time of these crossroads that we're in. I'm going to talk to you today about the the sign that's been posted in front of our church for the past number of weeks. It says, vote your faith. Vote your faith. And I want to talk to us today about what does that mean? What does it mean to vote your faith? Well, hopefully by the end of the day, we're going to know what that means. But before we can go there, I want to read uh, out of Jeremiah. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says to them. And we're going to find out how it might be speaking to us as well. Jeremiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, it says, To whom can I give a warning? Who will listen when I speak? Their ears are closed, and they cannot hear. They scorn the word of the Lord. They don't want to listen at all. So now I am filled with the Lord's fury. Yes, I am tired of holding it in. I will pour out my fury on children playing in the streets and on gatherings of young men on husbands and wives, and on those who are old and gray. Their homes will be turned over to their enemies, as will their fields and their wives. For I will raise my powerful fist against the people of this land, says the Lord. From the least to the greatest, their lives will be ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they are all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurance of peace. When there is no peace, are they ashamed of their, of their disgusting actions? Not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Therefore, they will lie among the slaughtered. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. The next few verses are exactly to our country today. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. Therefore, listen to this, all you nations. Take note of my people's situation. Listen, all the earth. I will bring disaster on my people. So it is the fruit of their own schemes because they refuse to listen to me. They have rejected my word. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I 
pray that we will heed the warning. I pray that our nation will heed the warning of where we're at today. We are at a crossroads. We can either choose to go back and honor you the way this country once did. We can choose to go back and honor you with integrity and holiness and righteousness. Or we can choose to progress down a path of evil. Or we can choose to do nothing and watch it progress down a path towards evil. I pray, Father, that you just give us the heart of what you would have us to do in this time. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would guide us. Amen. So the Lord is speaking to us today, just as he was speaking to the nation of Judah. We're at the crossroads. If we pray, and if we vote our faith, and if we live our faith, we can turn it around. We can, but it's going to take us engaging and mobilizing and doing what we can do. So with this encouraging backdrop, I want to talk about what it means to vote your faith today. How do we do this? How do we do this? So what I mean by faith is this. What is faith? Faith is the set of convictions that one establishes in their life so that they know what it is that they live by and what it is that they're willing to die for. Did you hear what I said? Faith is what we establish, the convictions that we establish in our life that we're willing to live for and that we're willing to die for. If you're not willing to die for your faith, how in the world can you live for it? If you're not willing to die for your faith, how can you live for it? Now, I know there are many types of faith and many forms of faith, and there are many religions out there, and there are many radical believers in some of them that they will die for their faith. So we have to understand what faith is, because faith just isn't something that we believe in enough to die for. For it to be true faith, we need to know what it is that we're willing to live and willing to die for. So today I want to spend the time we have discussing the three musts of faith. Number one, we must know our faith. First of all, we must know our faith. Secondly, in this time of election, we must vote our faith. And then thirdly, and the most important thing, is we must live our faith. So let's start with how we know our faith. Let me ask you a question. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, do you know what sets you apart from a non-follower of Christ? Do you know the thing that makes your faith different than the Muslim faith or the Mormon faith or the other multifaceted faiths out there that are untrue? They might have enough truth in them to look good, but do you know the thing that really sets you apart? from that false faith. It's very simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We don't need to make it very complicated. 
our faith that sets us apart from other faiths is the fact that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? And that he came from heaven as a baby. And he was born to a virgin. And he lived a perfect life without sin so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. And that he could die on the cross a death that he didn't deserve to die, that he could be scorned by God, that God could turn his face on him because the, the sin of the world is upon him so that he could take our punishment and he could pay the price so that by us believing in him and accepting his sacrifice and, and coming to him and say, Father, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me, Jesus? I then can have a faith that is worth dying for and a faith that is worth living for because Jesus already died for it. And he not only did he die for it, but he rose for it. And because of that, he's alive today, and so can you and I be alive today forevermore because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That is our Christian faith. It's no more complicated than that. It's very simple. Do we believe it enough to live it and enough to die for it? You see, the process of living for Jesus is a lifelong process. What I just described to you was day one of your salvation. <laughs> that was the moment that you received Jesus. You were sanctified and set apart for him. But now we live a life of continuous sanctification as we continue to set, apart a life, or set our, our lives apart from the things of this world. And that is based on relationship. With Jesus. Now that we're saved, and now that we know that we truly are a Christ follower, now our life is all about living in relationship with Jesus. Living with the Holy Spirit as our guide and our paraclete. And he is the one that fills us with hope and joy and peace. He's the one that gives us a conviction that, we, that this faith that we have now, we can live by it and we can die for it. Because it's the Holy Spirit living in us. We must have a desire to know what God desires of us in order that we can live responsibly here on earth. There comes a hunger now for the holiness and righteousness of God. Ignorance leads to misinformation and, is, and leaves one extremely vulnerable to deception. Ignorance of God's word is very dangerous. And I would say that the Pentecostal persuasion that we're a part of over time has left us somewhat ignorant of the truth of God's word in some areas. Because so many times we base our living on our experiences and on the great times we have at the altar, which are awesome and great in our times of worship. But it's got to go deeper than that. You must get into the word of God and you must understand what is your faith built on. It's not just on experiences, because what happens when that experience leaves? What happens when you wake up the next day and you're in the mully grubs and you just can't get out of it? Does that mean your faith is gone? Does that mean that you're not saved anymore? Absolutely not. But we must go back into the Word of God. You know, I can tell pretty much when I'm going to when I'm going to give a message that's important. 
because that's how I feel when I wake up out of bed. This morning, I woke up, and it's like, man, the dream's not over. T- <laughs> I mean, we're living the nightmare. I mean, it's just like the enemy was so prevalent waking up this morning that he was just bombarding me with discouraging thoughts, with the issues that our family's facing medically and mentally and some things, and the issues of the vote coming up, and the issues of the COVID virus, knowing that many people wouldn't be here, aren't here today because of their quarantine and because of the, the unknown science that we're mandated to live by. And I'm just tired of it, folks. I'm just tired of it. I wake up in the morning and I want it to be gone. I want it to be over. I want to go back to what it was six months ago. Well, eight months ago. Right? We're just being bombarded by the enemy. And I would also say that God's at work in this too. God is working his plans through this. And even when he's working his plans in this, I still have responsibility to do what I know is right to do. Right? It doesn't give me the excuse to sit back and do nothing because God's got this. No, God's got this, and he wants me to do something. (laughs) He wants us to do something with the information that we have. So we have to know our faith. We need to start by knowing our faith. Where does this journey of learning of our faith, where does it come from? Well, I want to turn to Scripture. Our faith begins with the fear of God. Turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. And by the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT translation, so that if it doesn't follow the NIV or the the New King James, whatever you have, uh, I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. Proverbs chapter 1, the first seven verses, it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7 Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Turn a few chapters back further down in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Solomon says, Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Verse 10, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Learning your faith begins with fearing the Lord, recognizing that He is the source. God's Word is the source of all knowledge and wisdom and truth. Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 33, it says, If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you will only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom, and humility precedes honor. 
You know, there is so much more. I could go to many other scriptures here, but we would take too much time to do that. But I believe the point is made that there is no room for ignorance when it comes to having and living responsible Christian lives. You can't base your life on your feelings, on your experiences. You can't base tomorrow on yesterday's greatness. You must dig into God's word and learn. And it starts by having a fear of the Lord and what he says and what his word says is the beginning of our faith. Learning to how to live God's or lives pleasing to the Lord is every believer's responsibility. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for your children. You can't do it for your spouse. We all have our own responsibility. And it's so much more than what we can learn on a Sunday morning message. I, I got to say, if this is all you're getting in the Word of God is what you're getting from a preacher on Sunday morning, it's not enough. Can I tell you, it's not enough. As much as I would like to think that I can feed you all you need to know, I cannot. <laughs> and neither can any pastor. And I listen to a lot of pastors that are much more eloquent than I, and I get so much out of them, but if that's all I'm listening to, it's just not enough. I have to get into God's Word myself, and so do you. You have to spend time in God's Word, and you need to cross-reference scriptures, cross-reference them, and just let the Holy Spirit take you on a journey in God's Word. Taking from one scripture to the next, then looking at your notes and, and see, well, what does that scripture correlate to oh, the Old Testament and the New Testament? And just going on a journey through God's word and letting it weave truth into your life. And when you do that, you will grow up and you will mature and you will see that life is worth living no matter what's going on around us. Let me share with you the, I, the prophecy in Isaiah of how Jesus would do this. Remember, Jesus was born as a baby. He came to be fully human, meaning that he came in with a baby's knowledge. I know we can't understand that. I know it's hard for us to grasp the fact that Jesus could have left heaven and left his knowledge in heaven. But he came as a baby, human, and he had to learn. He had to learn like we have to learn. How did Isaiah prophesy that Jesus would do this? Turn in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, the first five verses. Remember now, Isaiah is prophesying this hundreds of years before this ever happened. This is not an after-the-fact 2020 investigation of the life of Jesus. This is a prophetic word that Isaiah is giving about how Jesus would live. And he says this, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. He's talking about Jesus, okay? Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Imagine that, that the fear of the Lord would be on the life of Jesus. Jesus would grow up with the fear of the Lord in his life. Verse 3, he will delight in obeying the Lord. Oh, Jesus will delight in learning to obey God. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. In other words, Jesus doesn't live by his feelings. 
Imagine that. Verse 4, he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In other words, Jesus' life will be based solely on the truth of his Father's word. Now, the reason that Isaiah goes into that, and the way I think what the reason I think that's so important for us today, is because that's how we need to model our life. If we're going to be Christ like, then we need to model our life after the way that Jesus was raised and how he grew up. He grew up with the fear of the Lord, he grew up learning the truth of God's word and then living it and obeying it. So knowing one's faith is really important for us to grow into. Why? Why is it important for us to grow into it? Number one, because it gives us our foundation. It gives us our, our point of stability. It gives us our reference point of how I live and how I'm going to die. And at the same time, it allows me to be able to tell others. Because it's not all about me, is it? And it's not all about you, is it? It's about others. Jesus didn't live his life for himself. He lived it for others. And we are to live our life for others. And so for me to know my faith, I need to know my faith so that I can share my faith, which is based on the truth of God's word, to others, that they also might be instructed. Paul talks about this to Timothy. This is how important it is. 2 Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy in chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. He says, Timothy, and put your, you can put your name in here. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. And then he says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So Paul, to his spiritual son Timothy, before Paul is going to be martyred, this is his last letter to Timothy, the last thing he wrote before he was going to be martyred, the most important things he said was, Peter, was to Timothy, preach the word. Know your faith, Timothy, Timothy, and share it and preach it. Because this is what's going to happen, okay? Go to the next verse. He says in verse 3, For a time is coming, Timothy, put your name in there. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you, Timothy, you, put your name in there, you keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Whoa, man, that's a charge, isn't it? And it's just not for preachers, guys. It's for you that live in the workforce, you to go to school, work where you're at, or your home, or your family, or wherever, whatever circle of influence that you're in. You have the same charge because we're all ministers of the gospel. Know your faith. Know your faith. Secondly, then, once we 
know our faith and get to grow on our faith, and we're growing in our faith now, we need to, to do the responsible thing, and now we need to vote our faith. We need to vote our faith. Allow me to take the next few minutes to frame what this means in the upcoming election for, the, for, what, we're, for what our country is going to be facing. I know that there's a lot here that I won't have time and I'm not qualified to discuss. I will be very honest with you. But I think I can narrow it down to three or four major points that will determine how we vote our faith. The first thing that we must recognize is that we are not voting personalities of people. We're not basing our vote on the personality of the candidates. Whether it's the president or a senator or a congressman or a state official or a local official. Voting responsibly is not voting for the prom king in high school. This is not a popularity contest. We're not voting for the guy that tickles my ears the fanciest or promise, promises me all the, the good things that he's going to do with me, for me and all the free things that I'm going to be getting. I, I can't listen to that rhetoric because it distracts me from the issues that truly are at hand. We have to, very, we have to be very careful that we recognize that we must be voting for the platform of the party that is in office or that we want to be in office. Do you know the platform of your party? Do you know what your party believes? It's so important that we go there and we focus on those issues and not the personality and the character of the candidates. Now, I'm not saying that character is not important and I'm not saying that those things aren't important. They're just not the most important because they, they often act as distractions to what's really important. Because the enemy is very, very clever in his deception. He's very clever at getting us to base our feelings or base our faith on our feelings by distracting us with the things that really aren't important. Um, Donald Trump's character... And his personality really aren't the most important thing about him. Joe Biden's personality and his character aren't, really aren't the most important things about him. What's important is what's behind them. What's important is what does their party stand for. What's important are what are they going to be held accountable to once they're elected. We're too distracted by rhetoric. We're too distracted by popularity. I don't like a lot of things about Donald Trump. I will tell you that right now. I don't like a lot of things, the way he talks, the way he acts, his, his, his personality. A lot of things I don't like about Joe Biden either. But you know what? That's not important. So I don't go with that. I go with what are they standing for? 
Now I want to take the next few minutes to talk about the three, the four major things that I think are the differentiation between these parties. Number one, sanctity of life. Number two, marriage and family. Number three, religious liberty. And number four, their stance regarding the nation of Israel. And I don't think anything else matters. Everything else beyond this is just stuff that politicians deal with all the time. The economy, our international relationships, how we deal with climate change, if there is such a thing, how we deal with all the other issues are important, but they're not the most important things. You see, there was a year, there was a time years ago when there really wasn't much of a difference. In fact, I would look at, I've been told that, I that you could look at the Democrats and the Republicans to be kind of like a marriage with two, two people in a marriage. They may differ in some things, but their ultimate goal is still to have a happy home, a good life, and to have a happy, happy marriage. But the Democratic Party today is not that party anymore. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're a standing Democrat, lifelong Democrat or not, but let me just tell you, in case you don't already know it, it's not the same party it was even in Bill Clinton's era. I mean, it is going so far to the left, progressively to the socialistic left, that it is no longer the same party. So if you're voting on a Democratic platform thinking of what it was when, when JFK was running, it's not the same Democratic party. So you must understand the issues. And the four that I've identified, the sanctity of life, marriage and family, religious liberty, and the nation of Israel are all you need to know if you're going to base it on your vote of Christian faith. It's very direct, but I don't know any other way to say it that way. I don't think we need to go into any great detail in any one of these because I think we know that it's wrong to kill babies. I don't think you can justify abortion in any way, shape, or form. It is just totally wrong. And how we can have a political party celebrate the fact that they have now gotten abortion to that point that it's last term, and even after the baby's still alive, and they celebrate that in the city of New York, what are we thinking, folks? What do we think is going to happen to this country? Why do you think that God is angry he is angry about us killing babies. You know, if you go back and look at the fall of Israel, it started when they started giving their babies to Moloch. And they started sacrificing their babies to human sacrifice. It started when they started killing their babies. And it started when America started in 1973, legalized abortions. And since that time, we've killed 60 million babies. Innocent babies. And we think God's upset with that? How can we vote for a party that does that? That should be enough. Drop the mic. Why go any further? It's time that we overturn the law that legalizes the murder of innocent babies. It's time that we overturn Roe versus Wade. Anything that's similar to that, it's time to stop it and say it's wrong. It's time to stop. We cherish our life, whether it's at birth or in the womb or even older life. God's word is clear that life in the womb is precious. Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. The psalmist says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them, me together in my mother's womb. 
thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Let me just stop here for a minute. I was down in Grand Rapids yesterday, and I saw my two baby, my daughter's twins. Beautiful little babies. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not biased, but they're the cutest in the world. I'm just <laughs> my sister even agreed with me. But I'm, just, I'm holding them, and I'm just looking at their face, how delicate Eliana was and Evelyn, and their fingers and how they articulate. So small, but so cute, so wonderfully made. How can we create, how can we doubt a creator? How can we then say that this is not of God, that God didn't create this like this? Then how, 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 how can we kill it? No matter if it's in the first stage or the last stage of pregnancy. Let's read on. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me while I was born, formed in the utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's how precious life is, that God has already written the book. Your life was already written down because of God's omniscience. Second thing is marriage and family. Marriage and family. One party promotes that marriage is between a woman and a man only. And the other says that marriage can be between two people of the same sex and even multiple people of the same sex if they love each other. I mean, come on. The Bible's clear, it's very clear about marriage. In the very beginning, when God created man in his perfect image, it was God's original intention that man and woman were created as separate sexes with different sexual functions, that they were to be joined together in holy matrimony that would be never to be broken. That was God's plan. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, while the man slept, the Lord took God took one of the took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought it to her man or to the man and the, and the man said at last this is one bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. So she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. There is no biblical basis for gender confusion. There is no biblical basis for anything other than a marriage between a man and a woman. Anything else is a false religion. God's original plan was perfect, and it was without confusion. So then why do we have such confusion? Well, let's recognize it's all because of the fall. It's all because of the sin that Adam and Eve created and then they chose to go a different, plan, a, pa a different plan and that creates all kinds of confusion and that's why we're today confused about so many things. But it wasn't God's intention. God was perfect in it and God still intends it to be the way he designed it. I think we have to be sensitive to those that have same-sex issues because it is not their fault. 
in many ways. It is a result of the fall, and we need to help them work through those issues. We need to love them. We need to help them. But we do not compromise. We do not say God created you that way, because God did not create you that way. There are some confusion issues that are ongoing, and can I help you work through them? Just no different than if a man wanted to have heterosexual relationships without regard to his wife. That's just as wrong as a man having same-sex relationships for another man or desires. We have to look at life as to what God intended it to be, holy and righteous. So when it comes to voting for a party platform, we need to know the position on the particular issues. Do you know the platform of the party that you're voting for when it comes to same-sex marriage and gender confusion and LGBTQ issues? Very important. Got to move on. Religious liberty. There's a movement to regulate businesses in regard to hiring practices and even with whom we can do business based on the business owner's view of biblical teaching of marriage, family, and sexual orientation. One party wants to protect these rights, and the other party wants to significantly limit and eventually do away with the rights of a church or of a business to hire people based upon sexual orientation and have that ability, freedom to do that. This is taken, I want to quote something. This is taken from, this is from Franklin Graham's election guide in, reg in regards to the religious liberty here at risk. He says, religious freedom protects the rights of Americans to speak and live consistent with their convictions. Where the two candidates differ or the two parties differ the most significantly is when religious values conflict with the values of sexual orientation and gender identity. Americans, America's culture and its courts are divided on what would make, on what it means to be a male or a female. One party supports the Equality Act that would make a sexual orientation and gender identity pro a protected civil rights class with no protection for religious organizations or people of faith. Functionally, what this means is that the Equality Act would treat churches, businesses, and adoption agencies, listen, adoption agencies, and medical professionals as, discriminator, as discriminator, discriminators, let me say it right, as discriminators if they operate on the belief that humans are created male and female or the male and female are created for each other. Do we see how strongly that is, what that can be, where, where that's leading to, in fact? Where that's going to lead to is it's going to be, if, if we go down this path, they're going to start telling preachers what we can preach about from the pulpit. And what I say and I stand against, say things like I've said today, I could be put in jail. I could be thrown in jail because I take a stand that God's word says male is for female and female is for male and male is not for male. If we don't stand up for our rights, guys, this is where it's going. We're getting to the point very quickly here where the hills are being created that we're going to die on. <laughs> and if we don't start dying on the hill there, that's going to get to the point where it's not worth dying anymore because it's, we're too far down the hill. So we need to know that truth sets us free. And we cannot sit by idly and let the slow demise of our religious liberty be taken away from us because it's too hard. Listen, we're only one generation away. One generation away, and we'll lose it. 
Fourthly, and we'll keep moving, the nation of Israel. The Bible clearly describes that the nation of Israel is the apple of God's eye. That the Jewish people are special to God. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with recognizing a Jew to be, to be a special person. I don't have a problem with that. Because God's love is so great, he can love an unspecial person like me. <laughs> I don't care. But for anyone to be against Israel is against God. For any person to stand against the Jewish nation is against Jesus because Jesus is a Jew. Not was, is. Jesus is still a Jew. And we're to respect that and we're to honor them. And so there is no room for anti-Semiticness here. There's no room for discrimination of any type, especially against the Jews. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abr Abram, leave your, you leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land where I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. We are to bless Israel. Amen. There's so much more that we could mention today, but I believe those are the four major elements that would separate the two parties. One I will vote for and one I will not. Now, that does not make the Republican Party perfect. I will tell you that. There are things against that, and there are people in it that aren't perfect. But I don't have the right. I can't pick and choose the platforms of the parties and put the third one together. <laughs> I can't. I have to take the best of the best, the best of what they are. So vote your faith. Vote the platform, the party that most closely aligns with God's word. Then thirdly, we must live our faith. And here is the most important element of faith, because faith that isn't lived isn't faith at all. Faith that isn't lived isn't faith at all. I must live consistently with my faith in my faith. And this is the day that every true follower of Christ will be measured because we will be accountable in our day of reckoning. Did we live our faith? John chapter 14, verses 15 and 17. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Jesus is very clear. If you love me, obey me. How much more clearly can we make it? Love requires obedience to God's word. The Holy Spirit is here to help us in that world of obedience. First Timothy chapter two. I'm sorry, first Timothy chapter six, verses two and three. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching. But these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. A godly life is a good life. There is nothing bad, there's nothing negative about living a godly life. I will just tell you that. If one isn't willing to live their faith, clearly they won't die for their faith either. Finally, in John 14, 23, and 24, Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them when we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. I mean, again, he says it a little different way, di different terminology. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. 
What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. So it's not even Jesus' idea. God the Father is making these rules. Pretty powerful. It's very obvious here that the person that isn't willing to live for their faith won't have a home in heaven. Can I just tell you that? A person that isn't willing to live their faith here on, hev- uh, here on earth, they will not live their faith in heaven because they won't be in heaven. It, it's a pretty obvious statement. So as we conclude, Jackie, if you want to come, where are we this morning? Where are we this morning? Who controls your thinking? Who controls your life? Who controls your faith? Do you know your faith? Are you going to vote your faith? And more importantly then, are you going to live your faith? Paul makes a very direct statement in the Romans chapter, in the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning at verse 5. He says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Verse 9, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So let me ask again, do you know your faith? Are you willing to vote your faith? And are you willing to live and die for your faith? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know that we can make this a really hard teaching if we wanted to. We could make this very burdensome to people. But Lord, it's not. It's really not a hard life to live. It's just a life of surrender. And it's a life of me saying, I'm not my own man anymore. I'm going to choose you, God. I'm going to choose you, Jesus. And I'm going to choose to live by your principles just the way you chose to live by them as you were growing up. And so, Father, as I accept you as my Savior, and then as I make you my Lord, I ask you to consecrate me, and I ask you to make me holy, and I ask you to give me the desires of your heart that would make me and allow me to live a life that's pleasing to you so that I could know my faith, vote my faith, and most importantly, live my faith because there's going to come a day when I might have to die for it. And I want to know right now that I'm willing to do that. And so I am picking those mountains right now. I'm picking those hilltops that I'm going to die on because I am not going to compromise my faith to be accepted by humans in any way, shape, or form. And I say that in love. And I say that in compassion and mercy. And I ask you to help me in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to encourage you today, for all those that are listening, to make a good, solid decision coming up here this week. If you haven't made it already, I pray that you're voting for the faith that's eternal and lasts. Amen?
And I have some voter guides if you're interested. If you don't know what the platforms are, there are some voter guides in the back. You're willing to take one. But I encourage you to know your party's platform. Amen. Jackie, you have a song for us to sing? Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing a song of praise and worship as we leave this morning. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my we worship you. We raise a hallelujah today today because we know that we are on the victor's side and we know that we will win here, Father. It may be not in this life, but next life for sure, we are on the winning side. And we praise you. We just give you our life today. We honor you. Go with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be blessed today. Vote your faith.